1: of the legal fight for the rights of LGBT Americans. This is Beyond Politics. I'm former Congressman Paul Hodes with my co-host Matt Robeson and we are available wherever you get your podcasts. We are on YouTube at the Blue Amp channel and folks please rate and review us. Just go to the bottom of the page when you get there and you'll find it easy to rate and review and that really helps us. So there's been no area of American life seen a more profound shift in recent decades than in our cultural and legal recognition of the rights of LGBTQ people. As remarkable as that's been, there's also an emerging set of questions where there's less consensus and where Americans seem to be struggling to figure out the right path forward. To walk us through the victories and the road ahead, we are really privileged to have Kevin Jennings, the CEO of Lambda Legal, the nation's oldest and largest nonprofit legal advocate for LGBTQ plus individuals and those living with HIV/AIDS. Kevin, welcome to Beyond Politics.
2: Thank you very much, Congressman
1: people may have heard of lambda legal but may not be familiar with what is a truly fascinating origin story in early history it's really interesting uh, to me especially as a former new hampshire congressman because there's a university of new hampshire tie-in right there is um
2: so lambda legal was formed in 1973 and when we applied to be a charity with the state of new york The state literally turned us down, saying that there was, first of all, no need for our work, even though at that point in America, being gay was illegal in 43 states, and that our purpose was neither benevolent nor charitable. So we had to be our own first client, and we had to sue for our very right to exist, and we succeeded and were incorporated on October 18th, 1973, so we've just had our 50th birthday, and one of our first cases, as you noted— was a case with the University of New Hampshire, which had banned a gay student group from being allowed to meet on campus. Mm. And we participated in that case, and we won. And that started really 50 years of victories for Lambda Legal. Among the things we have won was we worked for 30 years, but in 2003, we succeeded in abolishing the remaining so-called sodomy laws, which criminalized same-sex relationships at the Supreme Court in Lawrence versus Texas in 2003. Then, 12 years later, we won the right of people to marry in 2015 in Obergefell versus Hodges. As I put it, we fought for the right for people to love who they want. It's really all about freedom the freedom to love who you want, the freedom to marry who you want. And we're now embroiled in a battle, particularly for trans and non binary people, about right. the freedom to be who
0: you are. Just as I kind of reflect on the history, my first, I guess, awareness of land illegal as a native new yorker came in the 1980s in the midst of the emerging aids crisis for americans who are old enough i suspect that's the association that most comes to mind and i i do want to get to some of those subsequent legal milestones but maybe you can just for people who may not have lived through that walk us through that period for lambda legal Mm -hmm. it was literally a life and death struggle to get some basic Protections and rights. Uh, what what was that period like?
2: Well, Lambda Legal still retains people living with HIV in its mission statement, and we have had an HIV law project now for forty one years at this organization, beginning in nineteen eighty two. You might remember that the first mention of AIDS was nineteen eighty one in the New York Times, so we were there from the very start. And it's important for people who know HIV as what it is today, which is a manageable, treatable chronic illness. Mm to realize that before the advent of those treatments in the mid to late 90s, HIV was a virtual death sentence. In fact, here in New York where we're based, more gay men died of AIDS between 1981 and 1995 than the total number of Americans who were killed in the Vietnam War. So it was a devastation of our community. Over half a million gay men have died of AIDS since the advent of the epidemic in 1981. So what Lambda Legal immediately did was starting to represent these folks because they were treated like pariahs. And in fact, our first case on this, we won the first case defending the rights of people with HIV, which was called People versus West 12th Street Tenant Court in 1983. And this was on behalf of a doctor named Joseph Sonnabend, who was evicted from his office because he was treating people with AIDS. Because at that point, people were paranoid that you could get AIDS from like, Drinking from the same water cup, which, of course, is not true. Uh, but people didn't know that at that point, so they were really paranoid around the presence of people living with HIV in their building, and they evicted Dr. Bend. and we went to court, and we won that, and that was the first victory for people with HIV in the legal system in 1983, and I'm sorry to say, 40 years later, we're still fighting. The military still refuses to enlist people living with HIV. So we currently are representing uh, a young man named Isaiah Wilkins, who was admitted to the West Point Preparatory Academy and upon his entrance physical, found out he was HIV positive. He did not know and was immediately sent home. Uh, This young man whose mother is a veteran, who has dreamed his entire life of flying a Blackhawk helicopter and wants to serve his country. And there's absolutely no reason he shouldn't be able to do that. So we're representing Isaiah in court. We filed the case on Veterans Day in 2022, which seemed like perfect timing to us. And this case is currently working its way through the courts now. It's really sad that, you know, we've now lived with this disease for 40 years, and there are still people who are not able to serve our country or get other jobs because people are paranoid and irrationally afraid of them.
1: You know, you're just talking about the issue, really strikes home to me. I'm thinking of the numbers of dear friends I've had who uh, we lost to AIDS. And, you know, I got out of law school in 1978. I remember that 1983 case and feeling so, so, uh, it it felt like the beginning of something really important in the legal landscape. And, you know, I know it's hard to imagine for younger listeners. uh, So I'd like to broaden our the fo- your folk in the next question um could you remind us what was the legal situation for lgbtq plus americans in the period of 1970s to 2000 it, it's really remarkable how yeah. many barriers and bad laws there were give us a sense of the overall landscape well it's really amazing for when i
2: talk to young people for when i have to explain that being in a gay relationship, was actually a crime in this country when Lambda Legal was founded in 43 states. And that, as I mentioned before, we fought until Lawrence versus Texas in 2003, but that in the 21st century, there were still 16 states that criminalized same-sex relationships. That blows the mind of young people I talk to. They think those laws were gotten rid of in the 1700s. Right, right. right. Uh, But they were still on, and they actually are still on the books, but they've been invalidated. By Lawrence versus Texas. And the first state to pass a law banning discrimination on sexual orientation in employment was not until 1982. And I always do pop quiz on this one because people always say, oh, it's New York, it's California, it's Massachusetts. It was actually Wisconsin was the first state to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. So we really, when Lambda Legal started, LGBTQ plus people were criminals in the eyes of the law. And we have fought for 50 years to change that. I'm happy to say that we began the litigation that led to the 2020 Bostock decision at the Supreme Court, which made it illegal to fire people from their jobs because of sexual orientation or gender identity. Took us 48 years, 47 years, but we got there. And just so your listeners know, we operate the only national legal help desk for people who've experienced discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity, or HIV status which you can either file a report at lambdalegal.org slash helpdesk, or you can call 1-833-I-SAY-GAY, and an attorney will get back to you and tell you, provide you support and options for what you can do. We take about 5,000 calls a year, believe it or not, for people who are still experiencing discrimination based on those identity characteristics. And in fact, the number one thing that we hear they're discriminated against is in employment. So even though we made it illegal at the Supreme Court, it is still something that's happening every day in America.
0: And I'm going to say this out loud as a reminder to our crack staff that we will put that phone number and website link in our show notes. If anyone's listening to this, and hopefully you're not, and find yourself in the situation where you're concerned that you are being subjected to discrimination, um, you should have those resources available to you. Kevin, I'm just struck as you describe how big the mental gap is for younger people to try to bridge to understand the the state of things before they were born i I was having a conversation with my daughter who's 12 yesterday i mean it's just mind-blowing considering the raft of laws that gay people were dealing with during this period the conversation i was having with her was she has a dear friend who identifies as a as they them the friend is dating someone who now identifies as male, previously identified as female. And my daughter's question is, should I refer to the significant other slash partner as the boyfriend or the girlfriend or what? The, the very fact that these are the kinds of conversations I have as a parent now compared to the history that you just described is absolutely remarkable. Speaking of that rapid and an incredible evolution, We interviewed Sasha Eisenberg on this show. He's the author of The Engagement, which is a comprehensive history of the struggle for marriage equality. It was a remarkable, it's a remarkable book. It was a remarkable interview. I urge people to check it out in the feed. And he made a very persuasive case that very few people, not just in the equality movement, but specifically in the legal community, especially Lambda that focuses on equal rights, thought that marriage equality was an attainable goal comprehensively in in the mid-90s when this struggle uh, started and, and very few wanted to actually pursue it. There was much more focus on what you were just describing, job discrimination issues.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your sense of Sasha's case? When you think back to that time, were there people who had any inkling of what the next 10 and 20 years would look like, both culturally and legally? Was there really a strategic a group that we're strategically looking to say we've got to push for marriage equality this is going to happen let's take a break we'll be right back
2: yes there was there was an early attorney at lambda legal who was the first director of our marriage project named evan wolfson evan wolfson had written his law school thesis in 19 on the need for same-sex marriage and he kept at it for 42 years until he got it in 2015. There were visionaries like Evan who thought it was possible. And I'm going to admit publicly, I was not one of them. When Evan came to meet with me to discuss his plans to push same-sex marriage in the mid-90s, my first reaction was, that's very nice, Evan. That's not (laughs) going to happen in our lifetime. Hmm. But good luck with that. And I have never been happier to be completely wrong in my life. And I really think it's a great lesson for people You have to envision the world as you wish it should be. As Michelle Obama once said, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And right now, as we're celebrating our 50th anniversary, we're asking people the question, what do you want the world to look like in 50 years? And I'll give you some examples of answers we've gotten. Some people have said, I hope that same-sex couples can walk down the street in every town in every state in America And they don't think for a minute, am I
0: safe when they're holding hands? That seems like, boy, it seems like so basic and yet so profound, Mm -hmm. that idea. And I got to say, by the way, Kevin, you're making me feel so much better because if you had that reaction of you, you didn't think it was realistic, I've held on to this guilt, you know, when I worked Paul for you as your chief of staff, another one of your staffers, Trevor Chandler, running for District 9 supervisor in San Francisco right now by the right way. Right now. Go, go Trevor. We had a lunchtime conversation in in your office, Paul. We were hanging out and uh, he's a gay man and we were just talking about the merits of should we politically be pushing for civil unions? This was like circa 2008. Is that a good objective or should we be pushing for full marriage equality. And I was making the case, look, we got to give people time to catch up. We've got to get them, you know, some cultural breathing room. Like let's push for this as an interim step. It's achievable. There's a lot to it. I I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I just, I didn't see it happening. And I too have never been more delighted to be wrong. Well, it's a funny
2: story you tell because that idea came up in the Obergefell argument in 2015, and the legendary Ruth Bader Ginsburg dismissed civil unions as skim milk marriage. That's Um, great. And I think that, (laughs) but you know, the fact of the matter is, if we wait for the right time for civil rights for any group, it's never the right time. Remember, one of Martin Luther King's most famous books was a book entitled Why We Can't Wait. Because people were telling him, you need to wait. You need to wait until people are more comfortable, et cetera. He's like, you know, we'll, we'll die waiting. Mm-hmm. And Evan felt the same way about marriage. And he was right. And I think the first step in social change is to imagine the impossible. It was when Lambda Legal filed its first lawsuits around marriage equality in the mid-90s, impossible to imagine that we would win 20 years later. After all, only 24% of Americans in 1995 supported marriage equality. Today, it's well over 70%. So the world has changed, but it's changed because we've made it change. As Frederick Douglass once said, power concedes nothing without a demand. Mm -hmm. So if you're waiting for the right time to demand equality for any group in society, I have news for you. That right time will never come. You have to demand
1: it now. So, so you're talking about the incredible shift in Americans' attitudes about uh, gay people that came about, <laughs> Frank, it, largely as a result of your work in the, the 2000s, the, there's almost nothing like it in the history of polling. I mean, two to one against marriage equality became two to one for it in what felt like an eye blink. It seemed like an eye blink. For me, serving in Congress from a kind of swing, moderate state, having the discussions that Matt talked about, about, you know, how far can we go? What's that going to do nationally? What's that going to do for the constituencies? I mean, I felt like I was in the middle of this, of this thing as a, in politics and in my life, I, you know, I came from New York City. I was in the theater. I mean, for me, I, I knew lots and lots of gay people. I worked with them. They were my friends at and there, here I was, I found myself an accidental congressman trying to figure this out. But this shift happened in something like eight years. What was it like inside the movement at that time? I mean, you were skeptical uh, about uh, the, the shift about marriage, and yet it happened, it happened, it seemed, quickly. How did you experience it? Could you believe it? No. No.
2: And thank God, people like Evan Wilson and Land Legal's current director of litigation, Camilla Taylor, ignored me. Camilla came up with the idea that we should go to Iowa and sue for marriage equality in Iowa in 2008. And I was like, you are out of your (laughs)
1: mind,
2: Iowa? But she was right, and she won. And that really was the first domino to fall. Like the Massachusetts victory in 2004 was absolutely gigantic, but if there was a place that you thought Gays might be allowed to get married, Massachusetts would probably be high on your list. Iowa was not high on anyone's list, Hmm. but Camilla thought it could happen and she made it happen. And in fact, we do have our own podcast, Making the Case for Equality at Lambda Legal. And there is a whole episode with Camilla where she talks about the improbable win in Iowa in 2008. So there were, I remained amazed as the Lambda Legal attorneys and the attorneys at the ACLU and at Glad in Boston kept rolling out these cases it kept winning they were right and I was wrong and I'll be getting married next year as a result of their vision
0: Mazda. Uh, yes congratulations so,
2: thank you and you know quite honestly growing up as a little boy in North Carolina in the 1970s this was ludicrous to me but Paul you raised an interesting point. Studies have shown that the number one way to reduce prejudice towards LGBT people is to know someone Mm -hmm. personally who's LGBT. Mm -hmm. And one of the unintended consequences of AIDS was that America came to know gay people Mm -hmm. because people really couldn't be in the closet anymore. They were getting sick. They were dying. Everyone came to know primarily gay men as a result of the horror of AIDS. And I actually think in a weird way, AIDS paved the way for marriage equality. Now, what we're finding right now is a backlash, particularly against trans people. And Matt, two things in response to what you said earlier. First of all, the Gallup organization did a poll last year, and they found that 20% of Generation Z identifies as LGBT, Mm. 20%. The greatest generation people in their 80s, 90s, by the way, it's less than 1%. Now, is there something in the water? No. What's happening as the next generation is becoming more and more accepting, more and more people are feeling free to be who they are, like your child's friends. So that's great. And it's very needed because over 70% of Americans say they've never met a trans person. Now, they probably have. They just didn't know. Mm. But they think they've never met a trans person. And when someone is a mystery to you, it's easy to fall for misinformation and frankly lies which is what our opponents are spreading about trans people and it's why this year almost 600 anti-lgbtq plus bills were introduced into 47 state legislatures 80 percent of them attack trans people specifically and over 80 of them have been enacted into law in 22 states and lambda legal now is really the community's last line of defense we are litigating in 29 states trying to hold back this tide of hateful legislation because the only hope we have left is can Lambda Legal strike it down in court. And that's what we're trying to do
0: nationwide. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's, well, first of all, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. It's, you. you know, Paul, I think back to our rabbi back in Concord. Who is i mean here's a remarkable story too uh, a woman rabbi the cantor is her wife and al- also uh, a woman and she tells the story that they had a commitment ceremony a civil union therefore they had previously been committed civilized and unionized but never married <laughs> so the fact that you're able to get married again it's just it it's sort of it's sort of delightful and yet i'm glad you went there on the polling because. We recently interviewed Dr. Daniel Cox, who's the director of the Center on American Life at the American Enterprise Institute, despite the fact that they're kind of a a right leaning think tank. He just he's a social scientist. He does survey work and he's been writing about this shift. There's been commentary that's even called it a backlash in Americans attitudes about equal rights and LGBTQ plus issues. Um, Here's what he's written last month. Gallup recorded, as you alluded to, Kevin, a substantial drop in the number of Americans who believe that, quote, gay or lesbian relations are morally acceptable. The 2023 poll found that just shy of two thirds, 64% of Americans believe same sex relationships are morally acceptable, a seven point drop from the previous year. That's a significant reversal of a long running upward trajectory over the last 20 years. It wasn't that long ago, 2002, we were alluding to this a moment ago, that only 38% of Americans, only 38% believed same-sex relationships were morally acceptable. Much of this recent decline was driven by Republicans, but not entirely. Our subsequent conversation on the show was about the fact that it seems like, and this is what Dr. Cox, I think, is sort of arguing in his writing. It seems like as Americans have encountered a new set of issues, as you say, associated with transgender rights, they are finding it harder to navigate. They're finding it harder to wade through and sort of understand and find their way toward, well, what is the principle of equality that we need to uphold here? What is the sense of rights? It became so clear cut around the issue of marriage. It became something that, as you say, as people got to know and feel comfortable with more gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender neighbors and friends, they began to feel like, wow, of course my friend should be able to get married. Duh. They're not quite there on on trans issues. That seems to be what's happening. What's your sense of it? What are you experiencing from the legal end of it uh, uh, in terms of what's going on, what we're seeing in these polling numbers?
2: Well, there's so many, uh, you raise a really important point, and there's so many complex But I think if we were to sum it up, it really comes down to the fact that America doesn't know trans and non-binary people. Hmm. Like I said, over 70% of Americans say they've never met a trans or non-binary person. And that skews very much based on age. People like your daughter, they know trans people. People my age who are 60, most of them don't. And of course, your daughter's not voting and people my age are. So politicians play to that. I think in the end, This will go the same route that same sex marriage did. Because I wrote a book on LGBT history 30 years ago, and I said there's two laws of LGBT history. Law one is the more visible we are, the more we get attacked. Mm -hmm. Law two is the more we are attacked, the more we organize and fight back and make progress. And that's we're starting to see law two kick in right now because more and more trans people are coming out. People are starting, you know, there's been a significant change over the last 10 years in the number of people who say they know trans people. And as that change continues, and as your daughter becomes a voter, these appeals to bigotry will be less and less effective. But right now they're working because people are unaware of the trans people in their lives. And there's a second thing that's going on that I think is really insidious and really dangerous. And we're all old enough to remember a woman named Anita Bryant who launched a campaign in the 70s called Save Our Children, which basically said, you know, gay people are after your kids. Don't protect their rights. Now, the reason why, and now we're hearing that being reborn today with talk of groomers, that LGBT people are grooming young people to be LGBT, which I just find hilarious. The idea that somebody would watch RuPaul's Drag Race and decide, they're, oh, I'd like to be trans. It's like the program's good, but it ain't that good. Throughout history, the best way to marginalize a group of people is to say, they're after your kids. Supposedly, Jews drank the blood of Christian children, and this justified pogroms. Supposedly, black men were after little white girls, and this justified lynching. Supposedly, the Roma stole children, and that's why they were also put in camps during the Holocaust. And LGBT people historically have been accused of being pedophiles, recruiters, we're after your kids. Now you have a kid, so you understand that if you think somebody's going to hurt your kid, you probably become pretty irrational pretty fast, because every parent wants their kid to be safe. The reason why they're trotting this tired out is because it
0: works. You know, people want kids to be safe. I, I can and tell you as a father that I I feel much safer with my kids. At what are Fox News going after drag brunches? I, yeah. I'd much, I'd feel much better with them at a drag brunch <laughs> than I would at, let's say, like a Fox News convention. Yeah, that's. Let me ask you. Let me just ask. Well, you a Wanda Sykes,
2: question. the comedian, has a great line about this. She said, "When I see drag queens going into schools and beating children to death with banned books, I'll get yeah, worried right. about
0: it." Right right, 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 right. So, just a follow-up question about this: You, when we were talking about the emergence of the AIDS crisis in the '80s, and you were talking about. I'm so struck when the news came out that Magic Johnson had Mm -hmm. HIV. I remember the Nightline broadcast that night and the words you used, the sense that if you had AIDS, you were a pariah. That was what actually a gay rights activist, I I wish I could remember the name. This is 32 years ago. I'm doing pretty well to remember the broadcast. That was actually the term that he used, that Magic Johnson was going to become a pariah and i think the point he was making was this is how you treat your beloved superstar because he now has this disease this is what the rest of us have to endure
1: mm-hmm.
0: and magic johnson it seems to me was incredibly culturally significant, incredibly important for moving public opinion. There's a lot of commentary suggesting that there was a will and grace effect in the 2000s, a queer eye for the straight guy effect in the 2000s. I actually love queer eye for the straight guy. That was an awesome show. And to me, I think it, it, it fulfilled that function you were talking about of feeling like, you know, these are your TV stars. They're sort of like your neighbors and friends. They're in your living room. You feel super comfortable with them. As you think about, a strategy, a communication strategy and a legal strategy as Lambda legal. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if this is the new frontier around trans issues, do you think you need a a will and grace for trans issues? Do do we need that kind of a, a cultural lever to help people see trans Americans in a different way? I think the short answer is yes,
2: but let me go into a little detail here. When we started the same-sex marriage fight, we knew we had to win in two court systems, the court of law and the court of public opinion. And what happened was we strategically leveraged our plaintiffs so people would actually see a same-sex couple. And they would go, those people don't look scary. They just want to get married. And eventually that shifted. And we came up with the slogan, love is love. And eventually America agreed with us that love is just love. We are going to be launching a campaign in early 24, featuring trans youth plaintiffs of Lambda Legal, so that people actually see trans youth and realize, oh, they're just kids like everybody else. And I think that is going to have a major impact on people's attitudes. The court of public opinion is absolutely critical to winning in the court of law, because judges don't like to get too far out in front of public opinion. They generally pay a lot of attention to where the public is on these issues and they try not to get too far out in front of it. So as we humanize trans youth in particular for America, I think that's going to have a very major impact. I don't think it necessarily requires a hit TV show, but what is required is for people to know trans people and to become comfortable with the idea that trans people are just regular human beings like everybody else and as we are able to leverage our lawsuits you know one of my friends is a tv producer he said Kevin every one of your lawsuits is a tv movie mm-hmm. you know, you've got the heroic protagonist people mm-hmm. love courtroom dramas you've got the evil system they're fighting he said you should be telling these stories like they're tv movies and that's what we're going to do
1: you know i just want to weigh in from my own personal experience i think the idea of a powerful education campaign that supports the legal efforts is really critical. I cannot. I've known quite a number of young people who were miserable in their bodies and being, and really happy and comfortable after they transitioned. I, I, I mean, I uh, quite a few. I, I don't, and that trans the transition for them from misery to happiness deep satisfaction about who they now were, are, is remarkable. It's important. And to the extent that people can be educated uh, about that, even if they don't know trans people, but can see that and feel that, whether it's a campaign based on those stories, featuring those young people, however it happens, I think it's going to be critical. I couldn't agree more because, and in fact, what you've seen, Paul,
2: is validated by the research after young people transition, they do better in school, they engage in less self-harm. It's a proven scientific fact. But I'll tell you a very moving story for me. One of our plaintiffs who I've become very close to is a woman named Jessica Hicklin. Jessica Hicklin was an incarcerated person in the Missouri State Penitentiary and was denied gender-affirming care. Eventually, we represented her. She wrote to our help desk, and we took her. I was very proud that she said, I wrote to lots of groups. You're the only ones who wrote me back. We write everybody back. And we represented Jessica, and she won the right to gender-affirming care. And then a couple of years later, last year, actually, she was paroled. So now she's a free woman. And she came to our board and gave a talk in which she said something that has really stuck with me. She said, I was incarcerated in two prisons. One was made of stone, and one was my body.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: Lambda Legal freed me from that prison. Mm -hmm. And that was such a powerful image to me. And that, in fact, I think when you talk to young trans people, that's what a lot of them feel, that they are imprisoned in a body that is not their friend. Um, So I think that when people are comfortable being themselves, of course they do better in school. Of course they're happier. It's logical. And I think what people need to understand about all this rhetoric around gender-affirming care and children, blah, 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 we're enabling kids to be themselves. And when a kid can be themselves, they do better. Period. End of story. No debate.
0: Kevin, let's get you out of here on this. Uh, I want to throw your own Lambda's own question back at you. Where do you see the future in 50 years? Here's my dream. And it
2: sounds like your daughter's already on the way there, Matt. I hope 50 years from now, the notion of coming out will have gone away because people have always been free to be whoever they are from day one. And the notion that you have to come out as lesbian or gay or you have to come out as trans becomes antiquated because you've always been free to be yourself. Now, that might sound ridiculous, but 50 years ago when Lambda Legal started working on issues like the decriminalizing homosexuality and allowing gay people to get married, I was one of the people who thought they were crazy then. So maybe I'm crazy. And I probably won't be here in 50 years because I'd be 110. But I'm going to bet you that if we could time travel, we're going to get to that day when young people say, what do you mean you had to hide who you were? And that, to me, will be a great day.
0: Repeat the link for anyone who feels like they might need Land Illegals help.
2: Land.org helpdesk or
0: 1-833-I-SAY-GAY. And would you like to give the link for your registry for your wedding?
2: I am going to be asking for gifts, probably for Lambda Legal. So you can also hit the donate button while you're on the Lambda Legal website and donate it to Kevin and Thomas in honor of Kevin and Thomas. Don't donate it to us. Donate to Lambda Legal in honor of Kevin and Thomas.
0: Well, congratulations again. And thanks so much for being with us on Beyond Politics.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us on and for the important work you're doing.